Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has passed away. She is in the light. There's a Jewish tradition that when a Jewish person dies on Rosh Hashanah, Jewish New Year, basically that means God waited for the entire year to take them back home. Therefore, they must be a sadik, a righteous person. I think that certainly defines Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And now we have Donald Trump figuring out how he can make political hay out of this. He's going to nominate a woman. Hey, that worked out well for uh, Joe Biden with regard to a vice presidential candidate. Maybe it'll work out well for him. And he has in particular one woman who is a member of a Catholic cult that says that husbands should control their wives and is opposed to abortion. He's got another woman who is fervently Catholic, but also the child of Cuban immigrants and pretty hardcore right wing, but he gets to nominate a woman and a Hispanic to the court. And then there's a a couple of other women that he says are on his list. God only knows where this is going to go. But while everybody is focusing on abortion, the Supreme Court, I mean, if you look back at the history of the Supreme Court and what the Supreme Court did the last time it was seriously hardcore conservative, which was in the years leading up to 1937, what was referred to as the Lochner Court. It started with this Lochner decision, as I recall, in 1905. Although the Lochner Court is generally viewed as kind of more or less broadly in that time, it could do massive damage to the entire spectrum of American life. I mean, ever since the 1930s, the Social Security Act was signed, as I recall, in 1935. Literally since that day, Republicans have been trying to destroy Social Security. Donald Trump now says if he's reelected president that within three years, Social Security will be dead because he's going to cut off its funding. And that doesn't seem to be bothering Republicans. I mean, this is just kind of mind boggling, really. But he might not even have to wait three years if he gets a right wing Supreme Court justice. Because, you know, the Supreme Court could easily say, well, there's nothing in the Constitution that mentions Social Security. Yeah, it does talk about the general welfare, but uh, in fact, several times. But hey, we get to decide what that means. I mean, since the 1960s, Medicare and Medicaid, these two health care programs, the Lyndon Johnson and the Democrats, without a single Republican vote, as I recall, I may be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure if the, at the very least, very few Republican votes, Medicare and Medicaid were passed. And Republicans ever since then have been saying that that's socialism. And not only that, right now, this administration, the Trump administration, along with 20 other Republican secretaries of state or attorney generals or governors, I believe it's AGs and governors, have a lawsuit before the Supreme Court that they were supposed to hear this spring. And as a giant wet kiss to Donald Trump, John Roberts said, you know, we'll just postpone hearing this case until after the election. But it's basically, you know, a case that says that Obamacare is wrong. And that one is particularly mind boggling because 
If Obamacare gets blown up by this decision, and by the way, it went to the Fifth Circuit Court, that's Texas judge, a Texas appeals court, said, yes, the entire thing is unconstitutional. It's unconstitutional to force insurance companies to pay claims for people who have pre-existing conditions. It's unconstitutional to tell insurance companies that they that they must that they can't you know collude with hospitals to in, engage in surprise billing of people. It's unconstitutional to tell insurance companies that they can't have higher prices for women than for men. It's unconstitutional to say that insurance companies have to cover kids, even non-dependent kids, until they're 27 years old. All that stuff in the Affordable Care Act, it's unconstitutional for the government to help pay part of your health insurance costs. All of that stuff is unconstitutional. So this lower court blew up literally the entire Affordable Care Act, including the protections for people who have pre-existing conditions. And by the way, we now have several million people in America with COVID, which is now a pre-existing condition. And this case is going to be heard by the Supreme Court after the election. And right now there's eight justices on the court. And even if Roberts joins the liberals, the three liberals, you know, Breyer, Kagan, and Sotomayor, even if Roberts joins them, so it's a four to four decision, that means that the court basically doesn't decide, which means that that lower court decision, which eliminated Obamacare altogether, including the protections for pre-existing conditions, that ruling will stand. No more Obamacare. But it goes beyond that. I mean, I think that this court could take out Medicare and Medicaid. Numerous Republicans, you know, Rand Paul's kind of at the forefront of this, but this has become Republican ideology. Of course, you know, David Koch ran for president on this back in 1980s. And all the minimum wage laws. And long-term unemployment insurance. And the child labor laws. The new excuse that Republicans are using is the old excuse. Well, what about kids who grow up on farms? That was the excuse that they used to say we shouldn't have child labor laws back in the 1930s when the Supreme Court struck down child labor laws. And, you know, now they're at it again. Since the Reagan revolution, Republicans have systematically torn apart our public schools. In the state of Michigan, where Betsy DeVos is from, and where her money has huge political influence. Over half their schools have now been privatized in Michigan. With a conservative court, we could see basically the end of any sort of reasonably functioning public school system nationwide. Are you concerned about climate change? Driving massive fires, storms, hurricanes? A conservative court could rule that any law or any policy, for that matter, designed to reduce carbon emissions are an unlawful violation of refiners and drillers and frackers' constitutional right to do business. With a truly conservative court, and frankly, I think with at least several of these women that Donald Trump is considering, you could lose your right to be protected from being ripped off by a bank, that's the, uh, the Consumer Protection Bureau. You could lose your right to be protected by government from your insurance company ripping you off. You could lose what few rights you have left to prevent yourself from getting ripped off by your internet service provider or even your utilities if they're for-profit corporations. They could roll back gay marriage and invalidate a whole bunch of marriages all across the United States. They could end altogether the right of labor unions even to exist, take us back to where we were before the passage of the Wagner Act in the early 1930s, the National Labor Relations Act. They could endorse privatization of the post office. I mean, literally all of these are positions that are currently held by various high-profile conservative think tanks and movement leaders, and they all reflect positions that David Koch ran for vice president on in 1980 and that are now embraced by some of these hardcore Republicans, including some currently in Congress. Conservatives don't want to just take America back to the 1950s. They want to take us back to the 1920s. And we need to be telling our Democratic representatives, particularly in the Senate, because that's where this is all happening. And the number for the Senate is 202-225-3121. We need to tell them, no, stop 
these guys. Stop the Republicans. Stop them now. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And no more of this uh, Democratic politicians on TV like Tim Kaine this morning. We're just hoping Republicans will behave nicely. They're not going to. How has this kind of thing played out in the past? Mitch McConnell is playing hardball politics. And, you know, it shouldn't surprise any of us. He, he is in a minority. He represents a party that represents less than half of America, and yet it controls the United States Senate. Fewer than half of the votes in the last election went to Republicans in either the House or the Senate. Donald Trump lost the presidential vote by 3 million votes. So all three you know, of the two branches, the three pieces, the House, the Senate, and the White House, all of them, more people voted for Democrats in the 2016 election, the 2018 election, than voted for Republicans. And, and frankly, that's been the case for a long time. The last Republican president who was initially elected by a majority of the people in the United States was George Herbert Walker Bush in 1988. But what else has been done? For Republican presidents, specifically to maintain control of the Senate, have on four different occasions, well, three occasions, they've added four states. Back in the day, in the time of the American Civil War, it took 125,000 people to be able to, for Congress, the broad threshold. It was basically the threshold for one congressional seat. And it took 125,000 people to say, oh, this is a state. This territory has enough people to become a state. But right after the Civil War, or actually during the Civil War, it was 1864, Abraham Lincoln said, we're going to make Nevada a state because Nevada was all Republicans. There were only 7,000 people in Nevada. Then a few years later, after the, uh, you know, after the uh, end of the Civil War, President Ulysses Grant, and he said, let's make Colorado a state. Now, at that time, Colorado had in the neighborhood of 30,000 people, more or less. Yet they expanded Colorado. And then you had Benjamin Harrison, who, by the way, didn't win the popular vote. Benjamin Harrison, he said back then, North Dakota had a population of 36,000. South Dakota had a population of 98,000. It still took 125,000 people to make a state. But he said, let's split it into two states, North Dakota and South Dakota, and that way we'll get four Republican senators. So that was in 1888. You had Abraham Lincoln doing this in 1864. You had Ulysses S. Grant doing it in 1876. So in that period of time, as a result of this, thus in roughly 40 years, the Republicans added eight Republican senators, which cemented their control of the Senate until, until the Great Depression, frankly. From Lincoln's inauguration in 1861 until FDR's inauguration in 1933, Democrats only controlled the Senate for eight years because of this. Well, we can add Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico as states if we get control of the White House and the Senate and keep control of the House as a starting point. We can also pack the court. When John Adams lost the election of 1800, during that period, back then it was November until March, was the period between the time of the election and the time that the new president was sworn in. They changed that after FDR was sworn in to November to January. But during that period of time, lame duck President John Adams and the lame duck Federalist Congress passed the Judiciary Act of 1801, which cut the size of the Supreme Court from six members down to five so that Thomas Jefferson couldn't add, he couldn't put anybody on the court. They also created 16 new federal judgeships and Adams tried to fill them. Now, Jefferson and his Democrats, the Democratic Republicans, they were called back then, we call it the Democratic Party today, overcame that in 1802. But, you know, there it was. In 1866 and 1869, Republicans in the House passed, you know, Andrew Johnson became president. And there had already been a guy who had died just before Andrew Johnson became president in 1865. And so Republicans passed legislation to reduce the number of members of the court from 10 down to 7. 
so that Andrew Johnson couldn't replace anybody. When Ulysses S. Grant came in as president, a good Republican, they expanded the court back up to nine, which is where it is today. So there's a lot that can be done. It's just going to take some political will. You are listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is by Robin Marty. It's titled Handbook for a Post-Row, as in Roe v. Wade, for a Post-Row America. And the cut line on the front says, The future without Roe is coming straight at us. This is the roadmap you need for the tough times ahead. This is from Chapter 7, page 101, titled Knowing Your Comfort Zone, Why Civil Disobedience. Access to abortion and birth control isn't just a health care issue and an economic issue, it's also a civil rights issue. And like every civil rights battle, gains are made through acts of civil disobedience or working outside the legal framework. Married people officially gained the right to access birth control only after Estelle Griswold, the executive director of the Planned Parenthood League of Connecticut, opened a clinic and began offering contraception in direct opposition to the 1960s state law forbidding it. That right was extended to single people in 1972 after Bill Baird was arrested in 1967 for purposely flaunting the Massachusetts law and publicly providing contraceptives to an unmarried woman during a college lecture. The Clergy Consultation Service on Abortion spent much of the 1960s and early 70s prior to the Roe decision assisting pregnant people in finding safe abortions either from legal or illegal providers throughout the country and across the borders. And there were groups like Jane's Collective that provided the service themselves, even at the risk of their own arrest. Today, people are highlighting a number of issues through acts of civil disobedience. North Carolina had weekly mass arrests at their state capitol during Moral Mondays protests, while the Black Lives Matter movement physically closed highways with their bodies. And of course, when Brett Kavanaugh was appointed to the Supreme Court, hundreds of activists were arrested, some multiple times, for interrupting his hearings, protesting in the Hart Building when it became clear the Senate Judiciary was not going to investigate claims of past sexual assault. Some protesters even blocked the stairs prior to Kavanaugh's swearing-in ceremony. As our society recedes further into racism, sexism, xenophobia, and classism, opposing the power structure through nonviolent means grows more imperative. Aaron Matson, the co-founder of the reproductive rights group Repro Action and Teen Vogue, wrote, If Roe is overturned or gutted, it is certain that some states will propose and enact some abortion bans, new abortion bans. Again, nonviolent civil disobedience should remain on the table, this time targeting state and municipal level lawmakers. We must remember that while in several contexts, abortion rights supporters lack immediate political power, in spite of the fact that nearly 7 in 10 Americans do not want to see Roe overturned, we always retain the power of using our bodies to stop or slow the machinery of state repression. End of quote. Matson adds, ultimately, it's up to activists to decide. Are we willing to break convention if lobbying fails? Are we willing to strategically expose ourselves to the risks of arrest? And if we are not, are we willing to look into the eyes of the future generations who will be incarcerated for abortions, miscarriages, and pregnancy complications? End of quote. ReproAction is a growing network of state-based activists that conducts political events, teach-ins, and other direct actions to increase access to abortion and birth control services. They currently have national campaigns as well as individual campaigns in D.C., Virginia, Missouri, Arkansas, and Wisconsin. You can join up with or financially support Repro Action to increase their national and local reach. Subchapter title, Is Civil Disobedience Right for Me? What are you willing to do to make sure that you, the people you know, or even total strangers have access to contraception and abortion care, especially once more abortion options become illegal? Are you willing to be arrested if you participate in direct action or nonviolent protest? Is helping someone obtain abortion pills worth a potential prison sentence? Would you drive a teen to another state to get an abortion if that drive makes you an abortion facilitator and thus a federal criminal? You may believe you're willing to risk everything to help someone get an abortion, and that may well be what is needed in some cases in a post-Roe America. But make sure that you've really thought out all the consequences of such a radical approach. These are the questions you should be asking yourself now before new laws are put into place. Maybe you have a very specific skill set. You might be medically trained, have a legal background, or maybe you've done counseling or social work, or you're a member of the clergy. These are people who will add a lot of value to the movement, especially if it turns out civil disobedience is the right way to proceed. Ask yourself if you're the only person who can do the thing you're considering doing, or if there's a number of people like you who are planning to step up. Then ask yourself what sort of risk you may be running and how those factors balance out. 
It's almost impossible to be a solitary activist these days, but there are spaces where you can manage letter writing campaigns, social media campaigns, information distribution, and fundraising can all be accomplished in a fairly solitary environment. Handbook for a post-Roe America. I was talking about how another right-winger on the Supreme Court, particularly a hardcore right-winger, on the fascist end of the spectrum, we could see Social Security get wiped out, declared unconstitutional. It almost happened in 1937. We could see Medicare and Medicaid being declared unconstitutional and destroyed. You could go back to the Lochner court and see minimum wage laws struck down and child labor laws struck down. We could see our nation's public schools being gutted, an effort that Betsy DeVos has been cheerleading for for some time. We could see any effort to reduce carbon emissions that, quote, violate the rights of refiners and drillers. Another issue here that as certainly the entire country has gone through a big change on in the last 20 years, I would say, is the issue of gay marriage and LGBTQ rights and and just that whole spectrum of stuff. And it looks like all of the women that Donald Trump is considering are people who are relatively hostile to such ideas. On the line with us is Alfonso David. He's the president of the Human Rights Campaign, hrc.org, a great organization, one of my kids used to work for. Alfonso David is also his Twitter handle, or at HRC. Tell me, what do you know about the people that Trump is considering and what kind of impact... Let's say we get somebody on the court who is opposed to gay marriage or to marriage equality, I guess is a better phrase, who is opposed to marriage equality. How does that play out? What happens? The Trump administration and Trump specifically has gone after LGBTQ people for the past three and a half to four years. And we cannot afford to have a justice on the Supreme Court roll back our rights. Marriage equality, as you reference, is settled law, but LGBTQ people still face discrimination every single day, even after the Bostock decision, which effectively said, employers, you cannot discriminate against employees in the workplace. LGBTQ people and their families face discrimination when they're seeking housing or education or even entering a store or a restaurant. And in the coming years, what's at stake is whether individuals and organizations have a license to discriminate against LGBTQ people when they seek basic services, whether LGBTQ people and their families can be turned away from businesses that are open to the general public, whether qualified transgender people can be denied and excluded from access to the U.S. military, whether or not same-sex couples will be allowed to adopt or serve as foster parents. I mean, is a laundry list. And what's one of the most important pieces, of course, is the Affordable Care Act. We know that one out of five LGBTQ people live in poverty. One out of five LGBTQ people don't have access to health care. And those that do have access to health care are at risk of losing that health care because the Trump administration has been focused on dismantling the Affordable Care Act. So those are just a few things that are at risk. We cannot afford to let that happen. We have to fight for our democracy. We have to fight to make sure that fairness, justice, and equality actually mean something and is translated through the courts. Alfonso, I believe that virtually everything on on your laundry list, perhaps with the exception of trans people in the military, but pretty much everything on your list is being fought using the rubric of freedom of religion. Do I have that right? And if so, how does this play out? You're absolutely right. So all of us should be well aware that our Constitution provides protections for individuals who are engaged in religious-related activities, meaning there's a separation between church and state. The federal government cannot pass a law that infringes or in any way sort of affects your ability to exercise or participate in your religion. What some anti-equality forces have been trying to do is effectively say, yes, we understand we have those protections under the Constitution, but we don't have sufficient protection. So I, as a bakery store owner, should have the right to deny any types of services to an LGBTQ couple because they offend my religion. If I'm running an adoption care agency or even a foster care agency with state dollars, I should have the right to deny an LGBTQ couple or a single woman or a religious minority the ability to serve as a foster parent or an adoptive parent because it actually offends my religion. 
This issue is turning the Constitution on its head. Yes, you have the right to exercise your religion, but what you don't have is the right to essentially deny basic rights and protections to other people when you engage in services in the public sphere. That's where the distinction is. When you open up your doors and you say, I'm going to provide services to the public, you can't say, I'm going to deny you those services because you're black or because you're transgender or because you're bisexual or because you're disabled. You can't do that. And that's essentially what anti-equality forces are trying to do. On the court right now, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that we had, prior to the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, three people who were Jewish and six people who were Catholic, and that all of the Catholics were essentially fundamentalist Catholics. First of all, do I have my numbers right here, Alfonso? You, I think you're right. With the passage of Ruth yeah. Bader Ginsburg, we, of course, lost, lost one. But right, yes. Right. And in Judaism, there's a long history of separating religion from state, in part because Jews have historically been persecuted by pretty much every state that's ever come along, arguably with the exception of Israel. But there's also a long history in Catholicism of the state and the religion being the same thing. I mean, they ran the Catholic Church ran Europe for 1300 years or longer. <laughs> so what is the status? I mean, right now, I'm assuming that all five Catholics on the court. Well, actually, I no, I shouldn't say that because uh, Sonny said Sotomayor is one of those Catholics. So, yeah, Sotomayor. I believe the four right-wing Catholics are all of the opinion that religion should be something that impinges on governance, whereas the two Jews and the and the one progressive Catholic would say no. Do I have that right? And how and how <laughs> might an additional right-wing Catholic on the on the court change all this, or is this, well, or am I, I just being way out of here in space with even talking about this this way? You're not. I, without without framing this with a huge broad brush, I think it is fair to say, which is what you're suggesting, that we do have to be extremely concerned about individual rights and individual liberties suffering at with some who are misinterpreting the full scope of religious liberty. Religious liberty does exist. No one is denying that, but it cannot exist to the detriment of individual rights. And that is what we're focused on. With another Supreme Court justice who believes that individual rights should succumb to religious liberty, we will lose many of the protections we currently have today. And we all have to be concerned about that. Remember that religion has been used in the past to justify colonization. Religion has been used in the past to deny black people the ability to actually participate in their religion. Religion was used in the past to justify, in certain parts of this country, slavery. So we know that religion can be used for bad. We know that people can interpret religion in a way to deny fundamental rights to individuals in this country. And we have to make sure that when we talk about the Constitution, when we talk about the Supreme Court, we have to make sure that individual rights and individual liberties are upheld. We're not in any way going to infringe on anyone's religious rights, but if you engage in the public domain and provide services to the public, you can't say to me as a black man, and I also happen to be gay, that you will deny me services if I'm gay, but you will provide me services if I'm black. We have to make sure that individual liberties are protected. So your point of highlighting, if we have a Supreme Court justice who is a very conservative Supreme Court justice and interprets the law in such a way that it infringes on our individual liberties, we will lose a lot of the protections we currently have. All of us should be concerned about health care. All of us should be concerned about individual rights. All of us arguably should be concerned about climate change. All of us should be concerned about voting rights. Those things are important to our democracy, and that's what we're fighting for. Yeah. Amen. And fighting the good fight. We're talking with Alfonso David, the president of the Human Rights Campaign. Alfonso, what would you recommend we be doing? We need everyone to vote. We need everyone to contact their elected officials and tell them, do not vote on a nominee. The next president should be responsible for that action. Amen. Okay. Alfonso David, president of the Human Rights Campaign. HRC.org is the website, Alfonso David, or at HRC, the Twitter handles. Alfonso, thanks so much for dropping by. It's always great talking with you. You too. Thank you for having me. Thank you, sir. Kevin in Durham, North Carolina. Hey, Kevin, what's on your mind today? 
you know, losing RGB is something that I feared for a while. And now that she's gone, I really hope people get it now. I really hope people get just how important it is to vote and stop engaging in these purity tests. Biden this and, you know, this candidate doesn't check off everything on my wish list because, you know, you're in a position now where you're going to lose everything on your wish list and even more. I agree, Kevin. I, you know, I periodically see on some of these message boards people hating on Susan Sarandon or Bernie Sanders or whatever. There is no purity test going on this year. It's like, you know, save your damn breath. It's like there may be people who don't realize how high the stakes are. You know, they're just listening to music radio all day long or, or whatever. But, you know, outside of the obvious trolls, we've actually been able to identify a couple of them as paid Republican operatives who call into this program and go, oh, I don't know, Joe Biden's just not good enough for me. Outside of that, there is no movement like that on the Democratic side, Kevin. So, you well, know, I just hope that's take a the deep case because, I mean, you're in a position now where if you think you're going to shame Mitch McConnell, and these Republicans, by pointing out the hypocrisy of what they're doing, you can forget about it. These guys are about power, and they don't care what you think. They're going to do what they're going to do. So yep. wake up, understand what the stakes are, because it's all on the table now. You know, health care, labor rights, voting rights, civil rights, the environment, maybe even Roe v. Wade, it's all on the table. Yeah. And get over to uh, IWillVote.com, which is the new website that has been put up by the DNC that gives you immediate access to the portals for every secretary of state in the country so that you can double check your registration. And if it's still possible, if it's still within the window, depending on your state, if you're not registered to vote, you still can. Kevin, spot on. Thank you for the call. Kim in West Palm Beach, Florida. Hey, Kim, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up? How you doing? As of September 12th, the entire Department of Defense that has about 2 million employees no longer contribute to the OASDI. We were not given a to choice. Social Security and, and they, Medicare, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had no choice in the matter. We may, may not have to pay it all back at once. We're not really sure. But that's 2 million people not contributing to the pot. And this is the end of Social Security. I believe it is. Well, it depends on the outcome of the election, because I guarantee you, if Joe Biden gets elected, he will reverse and change that. But you're right. Donald Trump has said, number one, right now, the way the law is right now, because this is just an executive order that will expire, that mm. basically those two million people in the military, I don't think there's any corporations that have taken him up on this because it's just an accounting nightmare. But the military is saying, hey, you just got a $10 a week raise in your paycheck, you know? Right. And by the way, at the end of the year, you're going to have to pay back a few hundred bucks because that really wasn't a raise. It was a loan right. from your Social Security yeah. payment. But Trump has said that if he gets reelected, he's going to make it permanent, which means that within three years, the Social Security trust fund is wiped out and oh, Social yeah. Security gets privatized or destroyed. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right, Kim. Yep. But according to his ads, you know, he, Biden's the one that's going to ruin everything. And he's supposedly saving it. And people don't know. I have told people everywhere. Everybody I see, I tell them this is what's happening. And they're just in disbelief. They don't believe that it's actually happening. Yeah. No, it actually is happening. Donald Trump is destroying Social Security right in front of us. And he's bragging about it. And it is uh, rallies. The people are just like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Kim, thank you very much for the call. It's real testimonial to to the pathetic You're state of these maggots. To Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. 
Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tom Hartman here. Did you know that Chief Justice John Roberts, back when he worked for Ronald Reagan, came up with a way that Congress and the White House could get around the Supreme Court? Specifically, they were trying to blow up Roe v. Wade and Brown v. Board, but it could be used by Democrats right now. It's fascinating. It's in my new book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. Check it out. Thanks so much. Judy in Sun Lakes, Arizona. Hey, Judy, what's on your mind today? The reason I'm calling is that my feeling is that if we don't have the presidency in both the House and the Senate and and or if we don't have the Senate and we lose the presidency and uh, no, just maintain the House, I think in general there needs to be a plan among Democrats way smarter than me for a plan for gradual or quick or whatever secession plan that there be an American Democracy Union. Actually, there's a book that recently came out by Richard Kreitner called Break It Up. We all actually like this title. It's Secession, Division, and the Secret History of America's Imperfect Union, where he goes into the history of the various secession movements and essentially how the country has always been divided in various ways. I mean, I don't think that the Republicans as they are, the Trump Republicans as they are now, can be brought along at all. I think the Confederacy in whatever form it is now is alive and well. They don't want to live with us. We don't want to live under their rules. I think a plan, and actually, Kreiner, I've heard him in some interviews. I mean, he seems to feel that, you know, this is kind of like the closest we've come. I mean, he sort of sees, uh, you know, whether it's that, you know, the western states initially start doing it or the northeastern states start doing it, you know, essentially breaking away from the, quote-unquote, federal government as it is under the Republicans and start doing their own thing. But I think there needs to be serious thoughts along those lines because there are Americans that want to live under a democracy and those who don't seem to care. Right. I get it, Judy. That is the most extreme end of a whole wide range of possibilities. And the reason that I don't discuss it or advocate it, frankly, although I did write an op-ed maybe six months ago suggesting that if all else fails, the western states and the northeastern states should consider a compact 
But then, you know, in fact, I talked about it on this program. And then I get calls from Minnesota and Wisconsin going, hey, what about us? You know, and, and that's the problem. Right. I mean, you know, basically that's the problem. The problem isn't that half of America has gone nuts. The problem is about a third of America has gone nuts. But they control so much power because of the way that the Senate is configured, that the Senate, Republicans in the Senate represent millions fewer Americans than do Democrats, even though Democrats don't control the Senate. And this is because of the low population states like Wyoming. Now, I get it. Vermont's Mm -hmm. one, too. But, you know, by and large, the low population states are Republican states. And where is this going to go? I mean, this if a state or a region were to secede, that could lead to a shooting war. I mean, it did once before. It did in 1861. So I actually disagree that it would necessarily lead to shooting because I think those who are against, you know, would be happy to be separated from those who are for. Yeah, I'll have to check out the book. Judy, thank you for the call. Thank you. Kenyatta in Los Angeles. Hey, Kenyatta, what's up? Hello, Mr. Hartman. How are you? I am saddened, but otherwise well. I, I am, too, and that's what I wanted to mention to you. Of all of the political earthquakes that we've had in the United States this year, this is the one that's really freaked me out. You know, Donald Trump, and I don't know if folks are aware of this, I think, I'm not sure, but I think he's had more Supreme Court appointments in a first term than any other president. And various pundits are saying that if he gets this nomination that he's about to put up, that that will make the court a 6-3 court. I beg to differ, Tom. I think it's already a 6-3 court. I think his nominee will make it a 7-2 court. And I'm talking particularly about Judge Breyer, who tends to kind of Who is, by the way, 73 years old, I think? Yes, sir. And that leads me to the second point, Tom. I believe, especially Uncle Clarence Thomas, and he's a real... He's going to resign. I predict if Trump doesn't get reelected, Thomas is going to resign and let Trump replace him, too. I absolutely agree. You took the words out of my mouth. And then I had a question for you. And I know that it's easy to kind of do Monday morning quarterbacking. But here's my question to you. When Justice Ginsburg first started taking ill and dealing with these various physical maladies, Barack Obama, she was in her early 80s, was still the president. Can you give me some insight or any thoughts you have as to why she didn't resign at that time, why she took that gamble? Yeah, she fully expected that Hillary Clinton was going to win, as did 99% of the rest of America. And she wanted her replacement to be the first woman justice appointed by a woman president. And that was a big deal to her. And she talked to people about that at the time. And, you know, there was some discussion about that in the press, in fact, back at the time. And, you know, it didn't work out the way she expected, and she couldn't hang on for four years. It was what looked like a safe bet that turned out to be a bad bet. I see. Well, I read a study some time ago that the average American couldn't name two Supreme Court justices, unless you're some kind of nerd like I am, could name all nine in their judicial temperament. You know, I don't know if people realize that they are that is the most powerful entity and the triumvirate of government in this country, Tom. At least I think so. It is. As long as Congress uh, refuses to use its uh, Article 3, Section 2 capability. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why that's why the Federalist Society was created in the 1970s. And they're now pulling the strings and calling the tune. Yeah, absolutely. Kenyatta, I got to move along. But thank you for the call. Spot on. Barbara in Bristol, Connecticut. Hey, Barbara, what's up? how you felt that Harry Reid's nuclear option in the last term of President Obama's is playing a huge right. role in this, too. I mean, they don't need a supermajority. They don't need cloture anymore. Harry started that. And you consider that like a tit for tat, like they, did, you know, we did it. Well, what had happened, Barbara, was that in the, the last couple of years of the Obama administration, Mitch McConnell was refusing to allow any. Yeah, well, I know actually, when Harry Reid was running things, Mitch McConnell was filibustering every single judicial appointment because he didn't want a single judge to go through on Obama's watch. And Harry Reid said, OK, we're going to blow up the filibuster for lower court appointments. And then it was the Republicans who blew up. Wasn't it uh, Mitch McConnell who blew up the filibuster for the Supreme Court itself um, mm-hmm. because of the situation with Merrick Garland and ultimately um, Brett Kavanaugh? That's my recollection. 
Right, but I mean, they do not need a supermajority now to pass anybody. It's a simple majority, 50 plus one, correct? That's, That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. And so, you and in fact, uh, you know, they, they couldn't have gotten either Gorsuch or Kavanaugh on if the filibuster had still been attacked. Correct. Correct. But you don't feel that they just looked at what Harry Reid did and said, well, now we're going to do it for the top judges. Yes. And and I think, frankly, if the Democrats take the House, the Senate and the White House, that they will and should blow up the filibuster on everything. Um, The filibuster, it goes back to the days of slavery. I mean, you know, it was particularly enthusiastically embraced in the era of Jim Crow as a way of slowing down progress, basically. Right. I'm also for them expanding the court. Yeah, me too. This is what FDR threatened in uh, 1937. And frankly, they should be doing it. You've had twice now the size of the court has been changed by Republicans to prevent a Democratic president from being able to nominate a Supreme Court justice. In 1801, well, they weren't Republicans then, they were Federalists, but they did that during the John Adams lame duck period. And then in 1860, whatever it was, 67, I think it was, or 66, they did it so that Andrew Johnson couldn't nominate a Supreme Court justice. I think that Congress should be doing it again. Barbara, thank you. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? I'm like 99% sure Trump's going to pick Amy Coney Barrett. Trump relishes the legacy of Ronald Reagan. Really, he needs the evangelical support, even if it's just perception. Like, really, maybe his evangelical numbers of support are locked in. But he might perceive, because he relishes that Reagan mythology, the Reagan mythology, right? And Amy Coney Barrett is the perfect choice for this confirmation bias. I argue occasionally with evangelicals from the perspective of an atheist. It's so I see things differently than like you. You're a believer, right? When you argue with them, it's different. I see it differently than you do. Amy Coney Barrett, as a woman, she can demonstrate that there really is no inherent innate inferiority to being the rib of a man. Amy Coney yeah. Barrett said that she finds the law a means to an end. The end is the kingdom of heaven on earth, the Malkut Shemayim, as it is right, in Hebrew, right? Yeah. And she's part of a group that says yeah. that women should submit to their husbands, et cetera, et cetera. Dave, the thing that will probably, that may blow this up, and Trump is now talking about, hey, one of these women is a Hispanic from Florida, and he desperately needs Florida. Frankly, I'm, I'm disagreeing with you. I think that's going to be his Hail Mary. Although Amy Coney Barrett has been, you know, she was considered back when they were talking about Kavanaugh. She is the fundamentalist's, uh, you know, dream, but she's not Hispanic. She's not from Florida. And she had an interview with Donald Trump when they were considering Kavanaugh. And apparently she pissed off Trump. Apparently she talked back to him or said something like, I'm not just going to do whatever you tell me to do, or words to that effect. This is from second and third sources. But the one thing that I have seen in the big media, like in the Washington Post this morning, was that the interview didn't go well, was the phrase that they use. So, Dave, if Trump was not in trouble in Florida, and if he had not, and if he had not failed to bond with her during the Kavanaugh time, I would agree with you. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Well, there's also the thing with the election results. They're really they're really worried about, you know, they want to confirm these skewed election results and they want a a cooperative court. Okay, and Amy Coney Barrett, I honestly believe as a Caucasian, Trump's going to feel more comfortable with her, you know, demurring to his uh, male supremacy. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I I guarantee you that's going to be one of the variables that they're looking at, because he is going to want a Supreme Court to say, no, we shouldn't count mail-in ballots after November 3rd. He's definitely going to do that. He's going to try and take it to the courts. He's already told us that. He also told us he wants to take it to Congress. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Richard in Pacoima, California. Hey, Richard, what's up? What's up is I called last week, Constitution Day was last Thursday, and I asked you about Scalia saying the Constitution is dead. You talked about Scalia's talking about it being not a living document. 
Right. And you spoke about Thomas Jefferson agreeing, or him agreeing with Jefferson about that. But no, no, Scalia and Jefferson to. were on opposite sides. Jefferson at length talked about how every generation should basically reinvent government. He said to force people to live with the same constitution for generations would be like asking a man to wear the coat that he wore when he was a child. Yes, yes, but what I was talking about was whether or not this, the one that we have, is a living document. And the person to ask there is James Madison, who wrote the thing, and he said, speaking just of the necessary and proper clause, he said, without that clause, this is a dead letter. That's a quote. So mm -hmm. it's a living document, whatever Scalia says. Now the question is, what do we need to do about this that they're just not doing constitutional stuff? Do you not think it's time for something in the 21st century, not something from 1790? Yeah. Okay. You're welcome, Richard. Thank you very okay. much for your call. George in Santee, California. Hey, George, what's on your mind today? Is there anything on the left that would be the equivalent of the federal society? No. No, not to the best of my knowledge. There is no organization that that has millions of dollars of funding that meets every, you know, multiple times every year that has a network of judges and lawyers all over the country. There's the American Bar Association, which is sort of the old standard. And then there's another bar association or another association of lawyers that is mostly made up of trial lawyers that is pretty progressive. And I'm sorry, I forget the name of them, but they have virtually no political influence. I mean, they, they may uh, involve themselves in a few races here and there, but to the best of my knowledge, there's nothing like the Federalist Society on the left. And George, I think, you know, what it's going to take is it's going to take to come up with something like that. I mean, there's entire structures on the right that we have nothing like. You've got the Mercatus Center at George Washington University. You've got the Heritage Foundation. You've got, it's called the Cato Institute now. It used to be called the Charles Koch Foundation. I mean, there's a bunch of organizations on the right, the, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, you know, on and on it goes, for which there's no parallel on the left. And the reason why is because there are not as many billionaires or as many well-endowed foundations on the left that are willing to fund these things. All the billionaires who are, who are interested in their own self-interest, basically, are ones on the right. Michelle in Capitol Heights, Maryland. Hey, Michelle, what's on your mind today? Caller who asked if the left had an organization like the Federalist Society, and we actually do. It's called the uh, American Constitution Society for Law and Policy, oh, yeah. and Russ Feingold is the president. It's headquartered in D.C., mm -hmm. so I Thank just... You wanted to share that. Is the American um, Constitution Society vetting Supreme Court justices for the Democratic Party? They help make recommendations. They put forth lists. They actually were founded to be modeled after the Federalist Society for the progressive, as a progressive counterpart. That's great. I, you know, I've bumped into them in terms of reading, you know, o over the years a couple of times, but never did a deep dive. And thank you, Michelle, for putting that on our radar. And I'm guessing that uh, right now, Sean is trying to track them down. It would be great to get a member of the American Constitution Society on the program and learn more about them. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Michelle. I try to put that law degree to use. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a great job of it. Michelle, thank you. Thank you so have, much. Have a great day now. Thank you. You, you too yeah, now. Good talking bye -bye. with you. Ellen in Cortland Manor, New York. Hey, Ellen, what's up? The Senate Democrats have to focus on that issue because it's Florida. Like, let's say, mm -hmm. you know, it's a Cuban woman who would be nominated for the Supreme Court, and he needs Florida so badly. I mean, the Biden campaign should just be bashing Trump over Florida. And I know that Bloomberg has put in $100 million to help. It's like Mitch McConnell, you know, held up that Violence for Women Act, and this mm -hmm. is pervasive. Yeah. And I just think oh, and Republicans have been fighting, you know, the Equal Rights Amendment since, since what, the 1920s? Well, you know, we need all the help we can get. Dems have zero wins, and it's really up to us. Would it behoove us if we were to, like, go back to the Trump properties and protest or... 
I was thinking maybe contacting the media and asking them to give the Americans the hard truth about everything that we're going to lose. I think most Americans have no idea what's going on. Well, that's the op-ed I wrote. If you can't get through to a Republican senator on the regular congressional switchboard, the 202-224-225-3121 number, they all have multiple offices back in their states local offices. And those numbers are on their websites. And typically the protocol for a senator's website is, you know, like Bernie's is sanders.senate.gov. So you've got a couple of Republican senators who are sounding skeptical, you know, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. There are others who may or may not. But if you want to call their offices, rather than calling their office in Washington, D.C., which may be problematic, Uh, you can call their state offices by tracking those numbers down. I'm not sure that protest in the streets, those kinds of things, you know, I'm generally all in favor of our making our presence known in legal and peaceful ways that are as conspicuous as possible. But the main thing, if you have friends on social media, the main thing is to get your friends who are constituents of Republicans who are in trouble. You know, the Cory Gardner's, the Martha McSally's, the, you know, the fill in the blanks, right? The, the, the ones who are up for re-election, to, to be calling them and, and raising hell with them. Ellen, I'm out of time, but thank you for the call. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Tom Hartman here with you. Jason in Indianapolis. Hey, Jason, what's up? I guess I have a scenario I'd like to throw out that I haven't really heard anybody talk about. I know there's 47 mm-hmm. Democrats in the Senate and 53 Republicans. Say Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, and another Republican were to vote present, but not nay. That would give you 47 nays. 
and say you have 48 yays, but not a simple majority, but you have more yays than nays, would that confirmation still go through? No, it's going to require 51 votes. But keep in mind, there's 101 votes in the Senate. The Constitution stipulates that the vice president is the president of the Senate, and he votes. He can vote in the Senate on any tie. He can break a tie. And so if it were to come down to 50-50, if you had three Republicans defect or even vote no, along with the 47 Democrats, at 50-50, you would still get a confirmation because Mike Pence would break that tie. But I'm pretty sure... You know, I might be wrong on this, Jason, but I would almost bet money that I'm not, that a plurality doesn't win in the Senate, that it requires a majority. I mean, that's the, that's okay. the essence of your question, right? Yeah, I was just wondering if they, like Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, they come together and they vote present, so they're actually not voting no. And say you have right. 49 Republicans vote yay, and 47 Democrats vote no, and say you have four or five Republicans vote present, you still have a majority of yeas compared to the nays, but not the 51. Right. They right. would still go through. I, you know, I would have to go back and read the Constitution, but I'm pretty sure that it, you, in fact, I've got it in my hand here. And I'm pretty sure, though, that it is a majority of senators, which I believe would be interpreted as more than 50%. But, Jason, let me look that up and get back with you. Because <laughs> all of a sudden I'm going, wait a minute, maybe, maybe? But I'm pretty sure that that's the case. Jason, thank you for the call. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Well, let me start with this quote, and you can be guessing who said this. The accepted notion that the court can only hear roughly 150 cases each term gives the same sense of assurance as when the court adjourns in July and the Constitution is safe for the summer. That sounds like Scalia. 19, 1983 was from your Chief Justice John Roberts. John Roberts, so okay. The point is that he thinks that when the court doesn't hear cases, the Constitution is safe. And he says 150 cases was what the court heard in, in the 1980s. This year, the court heard 130 cases. So now, with a 6-3 conservative majority, people understand that it takes four justices to signal they would like to hear a case. The conservative court can now shut out the liberal agenda by just saying right. we don't want to hear it. Now that Trump has sacked the lower courts, the lower federal courts, the district and circuit courts, those rulings will stand. So the solution I will propose once again is to have a 15-seat court, 15-member court, but each case will still only have nine justices, and the justices will be randomly assigned, and now the court can hear, well, two-thirds more. So two-thirds more than 130 is somewhere about 225 to 250 cases a year. We have a country of 330 million people, Thousands, tens of thousands of cases are brought to the federal court each year. And for them to focus just on God, gays, guns, and abortion on the one hand, and then sneakily, the cases you don't hear about, sneakily give their decisions on handing America over to the corporations is what's going to happen when you have a 6-3 court, and they can just choose to hear the ones they know they're going to win. If we went to 15 members, I mentioned this earlier, and I suggested something like with the circuit courts where you can get a three-judge panel. But what happens when somebody says, okay, I don't like, you know, okay, nine judges ruled against me. I don't like that. I want the entire court to hear the case. Do you have, are you suggesting that you still have that, what is it called, en banc appeals? No, I would not have en banc in that case because the thing is that even if you made the standard tougher, that instead of four out of nine justices hearing it, you made it seven out of 15 that four to nine is 44.4% of the court, but seven out of 15 is 46.6. That's the tougher standard. And so the court is wanting to hear this case. And you have nine. And these, see, what will happen is over time, the court will turn over, and it will be a, actually a much more fair representation of the political landscape at the time. And you'd have a more immediate reflection of, of wh where the country is. It wouldn't be this. Paul, I endorse your idea. We'll see how it shakes out, but I endorse your idea. Paul, thank you for the call. Alejandro in Miami. Hey, Alejandro, what's up? The Democrats just trying to impeach Donald Trump again. I mean, how many more abuses is it going to take? We're, we're being whipped and battered over here with Trump's unconstitutional abuses of power. 
you know, he didn't learn anything from Ukraine, despite, you know, what the Republicans Oh, had. he did learn something. He learned he can get away with stuff. Well, that's the wrong lesson he learned. Yeah. Right, but, but the, I think actually the Democrats have a strong case to impeach him just on the coronavirus responses. Obviously, he knew how bad it was. In Absolutely. The, you know, in February. Absolutely. Well, and I guarantee you, if the, if the shoe was on the other foot, you know, the Republicans, instead of screaming about Hillary Clinton's emails, would be screaming about Hillary Clinton, you know, letting the coronavirus run wild and kill 200,000 Americans. It's like three right. jetliners falling out of the sky every single day for the last, you know, 200 days, basically, because we're hitting 200,000 right now. It's just insane. You know, I think it would be a good thing. I think it would be an important thing. I think if you had a Democratic president, the Republicans would be doing it right now. But I'm not counting on the Democrats to do it. You know, we just we just have to vote. We have to get more progressives in office, and we need to we need to play hardball, real political hardball. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag your it, and be good to yourself and the people around you. Take a break from time to time. Relax. Take a walk. Enjoy yourself. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.